So I want to talk to you tonight about the fight isn't over. It's the, the title of my message. Have you ever been in a situation in which you've been struggling for something and you think you finally came to the end of it and then you realize like you're just scratching the surface, like it's not over yet? Um, so I, I want to share a, a little story that of a time that I experienced that. So something I really enjoy doing is I really enjoy being in the mountains and backpacking, okay? Anyone else with me on that? Anyone else being, love being in the mountains and hiking? Right on. So uh, so a couple years ago, the, the trip that uh, I go with this group of guys, the trip that we took was, was in Colorado, it was near Aspen, and the, the trail was called Four Pass Loop. Uh, so it gets its name because there are four mountain passes that you go over on this trail. So if you don't know what a mountain pass is, uh, it's a, a trail that takes you over a ridge line of mountains, over a mountain range. So the trail wasn't super long. It was uh, 25 miles. But the elevation gain was over that 25 miles was just under 8,000 feet. So that was a lot of up and down. Okay, mountain passes can be kind of grueling and not always fun. And this one had, this particular trail had, had four of them. So on day three, we'd already gone over two mountain passes. Day three, we're, we're heading up. We've been walking up all day long. And we see what appears to be the, the top of the pass. We think, we, we see kind of this ledge and we think, oh, you can't see anything past it. So we're thinking, hey, this is the end. Like we, the struggle has been real, but the end is in sight. Okay, so we're, uh, some, some of us are having a harder time than others. But, but anyway, we, we get up there and you're expecting this beautiful view over this valley because you're at the top of the mountain. But this was actually the view that we saw. Okay, so if you can see Obviously here, we were nowhere close to the top. Um, we have to go over those mountains. So we've been walking all day. We get up to this point and we think, we're almost there, we've done it. And then we see that. So I'm not, thank you. Some, some laughed, some cried, some said words that I can't say in church. Uh, it, was, it was kind of this disheartening moment because I don't know if you can see, but kind of like in the, in the middle of that picture, there's this tiny little trail uh, that goes up that face of the mountain. And one of the guys literally almost died there, but we'll tell that story another time. But have you ever found yourself in a place like that? Okay, maybe not l- literally like that, but you think that you've gotten past something or that you're over something and then you realize like the fight isn't over. Uh, maybe for you, it's healing. You've walked in, you, you've stood for uh, healing to manifest in your body and you've walked in healing and supernatural and in divine healing. And then maybe it's a matter of weeks, maybe it's a matter of years the thing that you've thought was done and over starts creeping back up. What do you do? 
What do you do in those moments whenever you think that you have seen breakthrough with parenting this particular child? And that behavior that you've worked on, that you've labored on, you think it's gone and that it's dealt with and it's behind you, and then it shows back up. The fight isn't over. Or maybe for you, it's something in in your mind where maybe you've battled anxiety or you've battled depression and you've seen breakthrough, you've seen victory and you've been walking in it. And then out of nowhere, it seems to pop back up, seems to start creeping back up on you. What I wanna talk to you tonight about is these moments in our life, if you're, if you're not in one right now, you will at some point experience something like this, where you think that the fight is done and that it's in the past, that you're over it, and then it tries to come back at you and you realize the fight isn't over. You think that you've already dealt with the unforgiveness that you have with that person who's done you wrong. You think you're good until you see him again and you realize the fight isn't over. Well, you're not alone in this. The, the people of Israel experienced a similar thing. So the Israelites, start, this, this nation once just started with a family, Abraham and Sarah, And God came to Abraham and Sarah and he made a covenant with them saying that from this family will come a great nation. And out of this nation, this nation will actually bless all of the other nations and that he's giving them this this land as an inheritance within their covenant. And so it takes a long time, a big fight and a big struggle for them to actually step into that promised land. Uh, They're all excited right? We're going to have this massive family. We're going to have this great land. And then they end up getting enslaved in Egypt. And then after that, they go on a journey that should just take a few days. And they end up wandering around for 40 years. And eventually they finally get to enter into the promised land. Uh, And everything's great. And the book of Joshua ends with them dividing up the promised land and assigning it to certain parts of the family and the the nation. But then Judges 3 opens with this. So they think that everything's done. The battle's won. The fight is over. And then Judges 3 verses 1 and 2 says this. These are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. He did this to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. The fight isn't over. There's a lot that can be said here, particularly around the times that we're in. Uh, in, in our culture, this is, this is playing out where, where a generation who has never experienced battle or warfare, and in case you don't know, I'll, I'll clarify in a little bit, I'm not 
necessarily talking about natural warfare here, but there is a, a training opportunity that we have here uh, where people who've never had to experience these battles and these wars, uh, there are still nations left in the land, so to speak, still enemies, still fights to be won. And it's for this purpose, so that people can be trained in battle. So it's like this. I love whenever a miracle, a breakthrough, happens instantly. Anyone else with me on that? Okay? That is my preference. That is what I pray for every time. Can I also get a witness that that doesn't happen every time? If you're batting a thousand on that, please join the ministry team. Okay? That's amazing. I wish it happened a hundred percent of the time, but sometimes it doesn't happen instantly. In times whenever the breakthrough, the victory doesn't happen instantly, what's happening is you're being trained for war. Because there's a fight that lies ahead of you. Are you going to throw in the towel or are you going to fight? And I'm not talking about natural battles here, although that was the context for Judges 3, but there's a principle in there that I think can apply to us. Uh, Pastor Dwayne just got done teaching not too long ago on, on taking a stand in Ephesians 6. says this, that, uh, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the, the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's what we fight against. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood. The most important battles, the most important fights that you're going to face in life cannot be won with fists. You cannot fight spiritual battles with natural means. So God doesn't just tell us that the, the battles that you're going to face aren't in the flesh, uh, but they're against the, the cosmic powers, the evil. And he doesn't just tell us that and then leave us unequipped. He equips us. Next verse. Uh, for the weapons of our warfare, this is 2 Corinthians 10, 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have the divine power to destroy strongholds. Our weapons aren't carnal, but they have divine power to tear down strongholds. So we have this fight that lies in front of us. Whenever the breakthrough, when the victory doesn't come instantly, it's an opportunity to be trained. Because there are things that you learn in a struggle that you can't learn any other way. That's one of my... Although I enjoy watching the occasional YouTube video... One of my concerns, or just observations maybe, with, this, with the YouTube phenomenon, is I can, whenever I encounter a problem, say I'm trying to fix something, and I actually try to do it myself instead of just call my father-in-law. Um, so say I actually try to fix it on my own, 
I go to YouTube and see if anyone's fixed it before and has a video of it, okay? Which is great, it's handy, but part of something that I've, I've observed in doing that is I get to watch, you know, someone else do it and then I can go in and fix the, I can be precise and I can go in and fix that one problem without knowing anything else, okay? Which is convenient, it's efficient. But the problem is, whenever you have to struggle to learn something, you learn a hundred different things before you learn the one thing that you actually needed. You learn what all of these other parts are and what all these other things do before you get to the, the thing that you actually came there to fix. But if you're just going off of somebody else's experience, then you, in some ways it's efficient, some ways it's helpful, but you also miss out on a lot of learning. And so when we encounter these struggles, these fights that don't go away instantly, or these things that come back and rear their ugly head back at you or try to creep back in, it's an opportunity to learn something that you couldn't have learned any other way. So what do you do in these moments? We're going to look at three things. Before we do that, because I just looked at my notes and I forgot to say this, I think, so January 1st of 2019, I was just doing some writing, some journaling, uh, which I guess is the manly version of saying diary, maybe, I don't know. But I was, I was writing, okay, in my man journal. And so, uh, so I, was, I was just doing some writing. And something that came into my heart was that 20, so did I say 2019? I meant January 1st, 2020. Uh, that 2020 was going to be the year of retraining. And I didn't know if that was for me personally or what. That was just something that I I felt like the Lord had laid in my heart. And after seeing the events of 2020 unfold and seeing that next to Judges 3, uh, the Lord left, uh, left nations in the land so that people would learn how to fight. We have an opportunity to retrain. We have an opportunity in everything that's gone on last year and it's rollover into this year. It's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to develop. In every situation, every circumstance you ever find yourself in, there's always an opportunity to learn something and to grow from it. So I felt like that we were heading into a year of retraining. And you know, whenever, whenever somebody who, uh, say they were a professional boxer, whenever they're, they know that they're, they're competing at that level, it comes with a very strict training regimen. But whenever they think that they're done and they go into retirement, their training changes. At that point, it's just kind of maintenance mode. Um, but you're not training at the same level. And what I felt like heading into 2020 was it was a call for the church to get back into fighting shape. That the apathy, the we can just kind of go along with the flow and everything's going to be great. We can just kind of stay in maintenance mode. That doesn't apply anymore um, because we, we can't coast in the, the culture that we're in right now. You, 
and let alone everything that's going on at the cultural level, what's going on like at your own personal level, what's going on in your life. You can't just coast, but we've got to be in, in fighting shape, and that comes with a different level of training. Come out of retirement, okay, because the fight's not over. So I want to look at three things whenever we, we look at training and what training entails. First thing I think that's important for us to have is the big picture in mind. The big picture. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint or the people perish. Where there is no vision, people let go. They disengage. We have to keep the big picture in front of us. You have to you have to have a vision and not just a good idea. That's why I, I like the ESV on, on this particular verse, where there is no prophetic vision. That, the word prophetic there separates what, what the author is talking about from just your good idea. Because it's not just where there is no vision. Because anyone can, can come up with vision where there is no prophetic vision, where there is no God-breathed vision, God-breathed purpose in your life, it's easy to let go. And when people don't have that meaning and that purpose in their life, it's easy to check out. It's easy to get disengaged. You've got to keep the big picture in mind. So what is it that you really want? What is it that you want in your life? Are you keeping the big picture in mind? An old saying goes like this. A person with a why can endure any how. If you have a a why, if you have a purpose, you can endure any how. Anything that comes along your way, though it may be painful, Though it's a struggle, keeping the big picture in front of you keeps you from letting go, keeps you from perishing, keeps you from disengaging. Because a lot of people, because of this reason right here, a lot of people die a premature death. And I mean, I don't mean that they, they stop breathing. I mean, they stop living. They just check out. They just disengage. And they just kind of go with the flow, run of the mill, stop living with purpose, stop living and walking out God's calling in their life. And they just take the easy route. And as long as they're keeping up with the Joneses, life is, life is good. You have to live with more intention than that. Imagine, imagine yourself getting on a flight and on board this flight is everyone you care about, all your loved ones. And let's say that the flight crew puts the same amount of attention into uh, caring for the plane as you do with your life. 
how confident would you feel in that, that flight? A lot of times, we just drift through life, giving no intention to it. And what that does is it affects the people around you. You may be okay with it, but the people around you need you to live on mission, with purpose. Church on mission is not an organization with a, this cool, catchy phrase. It's you and me living every day on mission, with purpose and meaning. And that is something that you can't buy You can't find on YouTube. There is a crisis of meaning in our culture. And the church has to walk out the reality of kingdom living. Second thing is, so we talked about big picture. Second thing is little steps, small steps. So you have the big picture, And you have small steps because it's one thing to have a big picture, but if you don't do anything about it, it's pointless. Just keep dreaming. And you don't get to that destination in one big leap. You get there with consistent small steps over time. I want to read a C.S. Lewis quote to you. Good and evil both increase at compound interest. That's why the little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later, you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. An apparently trivial indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge or railway line or bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack otherwise impossible. Your decisions determine the direction of your life. And it's the the small decisions that we make every day. It's not just these massive decisions that, you know, when when we talk about these turning points or landmarks in our life, we can point to these few decisions the way you got to making that one big decision was the result of a lot of small steps. People who are adamant about training, they don't just train in the big moments. We get to see them in the big moments, but it's the small things, the small decisions that they make every day that leads to that that difference that separates them from us, or at least me. Maybe not you, maybe, maybe you're awesome. I'm not all the time. Uh, Proverbs says this, a person without self-control is like a city without broken down walls. That if we are going to, uh, if we are going to continue to fight when those things show up, we have to dedicate ourselves to those small steps every day. Self-control is not, uh, is not self-started. Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
working and operating in your life. It'd be great if it was a gift of the Spirit, because you could operate in that quickly without much maturity. But fruit comes through intimacy. So self-control. If you lack self-control, you're leaving yourself wide open. And then you find yourself years down the road looking back and wondering, how in the world did I get here? It's because those small steps that you took, those little decisions that you made along the way, made a big difference. So take heed and pay attention to those small steps. The third thing is endurance. Endurance. So keep the big picture in mind, pay attention to the small steps, and keep stepping. Okay? Keep stepping. One of, uh, one of the most important passages of Scripture to me because in a, one of my low points in life, one of my biggest fights, one of my biggest struggles, uh, in the midst of the pain, the Lord laid this passage on my heart. And it's Romans 5, 3 through 5. And it says this, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Does that not sound weird to anyone else? When you run into problems, you're supposed to rejoice? That was, that was where I was at, is in the midst of this problem, the Lord laid that on my, on my heart, And from that moment on, everything changed. Whenever I encountered that problem, whenever I kept encountering other problems, not 100% successfully all the time, but I'm training myself that my default goes to this. That whenever you encounter a challenge, whenever you realize that you're still in a fight, whenever you run into a problem, what is our default? Is your default rejoicing or is your default complaining? Is your default becoming overwhelmed, being dismayed? Is your default fear or is your default rejoicing? That when you encounter that problem, when your spouse says that thing that you thought we were done with, that we were over, we've gotten past this, but they say it. I'm talking about me, not Abby, obviously. She doesn't make mistakes like I do. Um, But when that happens, is your default, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your goodness in this moment. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for the gift of marriage And though it's not perfect, Lord, I I believe that you're going to turn this ship around, that you're going to work a miracle in this relationship, that there's going to be repentance, that there's going to be forgiveness, that you're going to be able to mend things that no man can. We and that doesn't that that doesn't come 
naturally to us that comes through those small steps that we take. It comes through discipline. It comes through this training that we make it to where our default when we encounter things like this is actually rejoicing. Because, rejoice, because when we run into problems, we rejoice for this reason, because when we run into problems and trials, they help us develop endurance. And again, I, I wish that you could, I, I wish that I could grow in endurance without a struggle. But the truth is, the only way you grow in endurance is through a struggle. The only way that you grow in endurance is through pain. Does that mean that you welcome the pain and that you are a glutton for it? I would hope not, unless you're one of those ultra-marathon people uh, in which you're crazy. Uh, are you familiar with ultra-marathon people or just the concept? So an ultra-marathon is any race that's longer than a marathon. So some of these people... I know some of them, and if you're listening, I love you, but you're crazy. They will run like 100 miles for a race. It's insane. Yeah, so that it actually, the, the ultra marathons got started in the Rocky Mountains where I almost died just walking up the side of a mountain. Here these people are running for hundreds of miles, but the, the ultra marathon thing got started in the Mountain West, whenever this, uh, there was this 100-mile horse race, and there, there was this one man who had done the race before, but the, you know, he had always done it on his horse. Well, his horse ends up going lame on him, and the person who coordinated the event said, hey, why don't you run it? And the guy was crazy enough that he did it. So he, start, he ran this race. He ran in this horse race and competed with horses. It's crazy, but something that's interesting is that human beings are possibly the greatest endurance runners on the planet. That human beings can actually outrun almost any other animal in the world over a long distance. Uh, People now do these 100-mile races where it's horses versus people, and people will win. It's crazy. It was actually one of the, the primitive hunting methods was people would just run these animals. And I mean like agile animals. They would just keep chasing them until they fell over. It's wild. But you know what? You can endure far more than you think you can. Like to us, who, when was the last time you ran five miles? The idea of that seems insane, seems impossible. But these people who dedicate themselves to training and continually push themselves through endurance develop the capacity to actually compete with horses. you and I are able to endure far more than we think we can. So whenever you run into those problems, whenever you run into those challenges, 
Are you going to throw in the towel or are you going to keep fighting? That was a a question that the Lord uh, posed to the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah, early on in his career as a prophet, which those, I, I would not choose that line of work, uh, didn't end well for pretty much everyone who did it, because um, most prophets ended up getting killed. Um, but Jeremiah was early on in it, and he was complaining to God about people, go figure, he's complaining to God, and he's considering throwing in the towel. And this is what the, these are the first words that the Lord says to Jeremiah after his complaint. He says this in Jeremiah 12, verse 5. If racing against mere men makes you tired, how will you race against horses? If you stumble and fall on open ground, what will you do in the thickets near the Jordan? Mm. Man, the, the first time I read this and really stopped to think about it, it was at a time in my life whenever this really leapt off the page at me because I was, I was in a position and at this point in my life, it felt like I was just kind of walking through a fog. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your life, but it was just kind of like I was, I was going through life in a fog. And I remember reading this and thinking, man, I know what that feels like because I'm there right now. I know that, that what God is leading me to do is far, like it's going to demand so much more out of me than what I'm doing right now. But if what I'm doing right now is already overwhelming me, how in the world am I ever gonna do that? You know, where you, you know that there's more in you than what you're experiencing right now. And I remember coming across this and thinking, God, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Run with the horses. Yeah, running with normal, like the run of the mill, ordinary life is already overwhelming me. How in the world am I gonna compete with the horses? You just keep going. Because when you run, Romans 5, when you run into these problems, when you run into these trials, you rejoice. Because what's happening is endurance is being formed in you. And that endurance produces character. And that character produces hope. And that hope won't disappoint. That hope won't disappoint because we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us his Holy Spirit. He's poured his Holy Spirit, his love in our hearts through his Holy Spirit. I want to close with this. So someone wrote wrote an entire book on that one verse. Uh, His name's Eugene Peterson. So I just want to read this paragraph Uh, and it's from the perspective of the question that God is posing to Jeremiah. And 
Peterson writes this. Life is difficult, Jeremiah. Are you going to quit at the first wave of opposition? Are you going to retreat when you find that there's more to life than finding three meals a day in a dry place to sleep at night? Are you going to run home the minute you find that most men and women are more interested in keeping their feet warm than living at risk to the glory of God? Are you going to live cautiously or courageously? I've called you to live at your best, which is to pursue righteousness and to sustain a drive toward excellence. It's easier, I know, to be neurotic. It's easier to be parasitic. It's easier to relax in the embracing arms of average. Easier, but not better. Easier, but not more significant. Easier, but not more fulfilling. I've called you to live a life of purpose far beyond what you think yourself capable of living and promised you the the adequate strength to fulfill your destiny. Now at the first sign of difficulty, you're ready to quit? If you're fatigued by this run-of-the-mill crowd of apathetic mediocrities, what will you do when the real race starts? The race with the swift and determined horses of excellence. What is it you really want, Jeremiah? Do you want to shuffle along with this crowd, or do you want to run with the horses? What is it that you really want? Do you want to just fall away into just being part of the average? Do you want to live courageously or cautiously? Or do you want to run with the horses? God is calling you to do something that you cannot do on your own. If the life you're living, you could live without the Lord, please reconsider it. Because the Lord calls us to live lives that would be impossible to live without him. To do things that would not be possible to do without him. So what do you do whenever you realize the fight's not done? Keep fighting. Keep fighting. You don't give up. You don't give in. And you run with the horses. You can go ahead and stand to your feet and the servers can go ahead and come on down. There's one thing that we can know, regardless of what fight that we're in. And it's this. That any fight, any fight we're ever in, there's always a table that the Lord has prepared for us. Psalm 23. You've prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. These fights that we face, we don't face them alone. We don't fight them alone. This is not some sort of motivational speech. Hey, you've got it in you. You can do it. 
just find yourself. No, no, no. The, the way of excellence that God was calling Jeremiah to is not found in self-achievement. It's found in self-surrender. It's found in self-sacrifice. It's not found in increased awareness about your gifts. It's found in increased awareness of God's ability to work in you. 